Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Here we are, the dreaded third base position. Let's break it down. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Sneak people. We're actually recording this Super Bowl Sunday. If you're watching us live on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. You're listening to this on Monday. We don't know what's happened yet in the Super Bowl. Regardless, what a I hope game, it's an awesome though. game. Oh, God, it was Couldn't sick. believe that catch. <laughs> Great stuff. Anywho, let's jump into third base. Let's start it off. If you don't know by now how Scott feels about third base, then you probably have not listened to a single off-season episode. <laughs> For yeah. those that People are just, just listen to the position previews, I mean. There you go. For those who are just catching up, Scott, let's let them know. How do you feel about All third right. base this year? Third base, I, I'll put it this way. Get in early or don't get in at all. Because basically you've got uh, some first and second rounders, a, a pretty good number of them. you got Jose Ramirez going in the first round for sure. In the second round, you're probably going to see Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, Austin Riley, Bobby Witt. And because things drop off so dramatically, I'm personally going to drag Nolan Arenado in, uh, late into round two as well. And then after that, you do have a few chances at something halfway decent. You got Alex Bregman, who's going to go a few rounds later, but we don't really think of him as so high-end anymore, at least not. In, in categories, leagues and points leagues, he's still pretty good because of plate discipline. You got Gunnar Henderson in the running for top overall prospect. It's going to be his rookie year for the Orioles. And who knows? I mean, he could be great. He could not. That's, that's the nature of, of rookies and prospects. And you got Max Muncy, who hit under 200 last year, but was dealing with an elbow injury, looked much better over the final two months. Uh, and so hopefully he can get back to being the Max Muncy we know. But th that's it. You got those three chances 
and you're probably going to have to reach for one of them if you don't want to uh, if, if you don't want to be in a desperate spot at third base. And uh, if it doesn't work out, I'm probably just you know pick, picking through the scraps at the end because I don't want you know I, I don't want to um, pay for mediocrity just because it's at this position where. Uh, where there's nothing better left than mediocrity. So my goal at third base, my own personal goal at third base is that's my second round pick. Unless I drafted Jose Ramirez in, in round one, my third baseman is going to come in round two in, in almost every draft I do. We know that third base and second base are both very shallow positions. Just to put that in perspective, there are eight third basemen currently going inside the top 100 picks of ADP. There are only seven second basemen, but... The drop-off, again, as Scott referenced at third base, there's a little bit more talent in like the middle rounds at second base. There's not really much at third base, as we'll talk about later on in this podcast. Chris, what is your strategy at third base this year? Uh, I agree with Scott. I would like to get one in the second uh, in the second round, if possible. But when it comes to position scarcity, I, I just want to be careful that we're not leaving too much value on the board just to make sure we get mm-hmm. one of these positions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm... I think of the three of us probably more likely to go with a late round third baseman. I do agree with Scott that it's either you get one in your first few picks or you wait because like, I don't really love the idea of Max Muncy being my third base, my starting third baseman, or at least I don't see much difference between him and, and some other lower end guys. Um, so like, yeah, if you get any of that top six, if you want to throw Bregman and Gunnar Henderson in there, I think that's fine. Um, I think you feel good about the position. Otherwise, I'm going to wait and I'm going to take probably a boring veteran with some upside and then an exciting prospect. And that's the thing about third base is like, if you don't take one early, you could still get very good production from the position. It's just much, much less likely because we do have, you know, I think, uh, at least a trio of really interesting, exciting prospects who are likely to be, if not on the opening day roster, very, very close after that. And there's a couple lower end guys on the prospect ranks who I think are pretty interesting. And then what we're seeing here is a, a multi-year trend at third base where it's just been pretty bad for the last like three years, I would say basically since 2020, I would think I would say is when the drop off happened and we haven't had the the young guys step up yet, but this seems like a year where it definitely could happen. And um, I would rather pin my hopes on something like that than, you know, reach too much. So I'm probably less likely to play the positional scarcity game and, and invest that second round pick but I'm not totally opposed to it. I, they could, those, those, those uh, young guys you were talking about. They could, Brett Beatty, they could, Josh Young, and, and Jordan Walker, primarily. Yep. Primarily, yeah. It, Although Spencer Steer. Did, like, it didn't happen last year. And I, I know from experience that the, the leagues where I didn't invest in third base, I just didn't have a third baseman all year. And it was <laughs> miserable. Um, I do think there's also... Kind of in the in in, in the, the the fantasy analysis community, whatever you want to call it, there is a tendency toward gearing the analysis toward fifteen team leagues, 
And so I think if you're gearing analysis toward 15 leagues, you can understate the importance of position scarcity because when you have a league that deep, you know, particularly a roto lineup, 15 teams, 14 hitter spots to fill, you know, uh, you're going to be weak somewhere, and who cares if it's third base versus something else, right? But if you're talking a 12-team context, and particularly a 12-team head-to-head context, where every lineup spot counts for more because there's fewer of them, that's where I think it's most critical to get a high-end option at third base and not just leave it to chance that you're going to find a breakthrough, a very low-probability chance at that. And I think most people listening to this podcast probably play in a 10 or 12 team league. If you listen to our mailbag last week, a lot of the questions are, hey, 12 team league, keeper league. These are my you know, options kind of thing. So uh, I think those are the people we're most likely talking to. Of course, we'll have a few deep leaguers listening as well. But uh, yeah, just, just kind of further Scott's point. Let's jump into ADP. Fantasy Pros ADP now has five different sources, which is great for our purposes, CBS, ESPN, Fantrax, RT Sports, and the NFBC. So things are a little bit more updated now. Um, and it'll help with someone like Bobby Witt, who before was a top 10 pick, and I think now his ADP is down at 21. Let's start off with just one name that stands above the rest. Jose Ramirez has an ADP of Three. He finished fifth overall in Roto last year, 3.8 fantasy points per game. That was tied for the second best hitter in points leagues last year. And much like Trey Turner, I mentioned this, Jose Ramirez has finished no lower than sixth overall in Roto each of the past three seasons. So a lot of consistency, a very safe floor there. The only thing that stands out to me, Scott, and slightly worries me is, and it doesn't really actually, Hmm. the batted ball data took a step back last year. But it turns out that Jose Ramirez was playing through a torn ligament in his thumb for like the entire second half. He had surgery for that in the offseason. So does that worry you at all when you have to invest a top three or five pick in Jose Ramirez? Nah, it okay. doesn't, uh, especially when you consider the the thumb thing. And, and, and like 2021 was his high point for at least for average exit velocity. So it, it looks starker when you compare 2022 to 2021. Obviously, the production was there. This guy excels at pulling the ball in the air. So I don't really think his power is going to, as we saw last year, I don't think his power is going to suffer from, from this uh, environment where it's harder to hit home runs. And yeah, it's basically for me personally, Aaron judge is the only player I would take ahead of Jose Ramirez. And I'm factoring position scarcity into that thinking. Cause you know, some people might make the argument for Trey Turner who plays the very deep shortstop. But for me, it's just Aaron Judge, who was a distant number one in all scoring formats last year and also plays a weak position himself outfield. And then Jose Ramirez at the top of the draft. And last point on Jose Ramirez, because I don't look, he's pretty safe. I don't know that we need to go in much more in depth than this, but he makes a lot of contact as a switch hitter. Obviously, most of those at bats from the left handed side. I think it just adds to his safety and his floor the shift restrictions. He hits a lot of fly balls. I get that, but I think it only makes me feel better that he's going to hit, you know, 275 or 280 plus uh, moving forward. That is Jose Ramirez. Four names typically live in the late first, early second round. We've got Manny Machado with an ADP of 13.6, Rafael Devers at 20.6, Bobby Witt Jr. at 21, and Austin Riley with an ADP of 25.4. But I'll I'll point out that is dragged down by a 49 ADP on ESPN and Typically, we see Austin Riley go in the early to mid-second round, so just keep that in mind. He is a surefire second-round pick. We'll start things off with 
Manny Machado, who was awesome last year. He finished eighth overall in Roto. He was a he's been a top 30 player three years in a row now. Uh, 32 home runs, 298 batting average, runs RBI great. Awesome lineup once again this year. Chris, much like we talked about with Francisco Lindor, Manny Machado. I love buying him last year because it seemed like the year before he underperformed his expected numbers. And then last year, he overperformed by a lot. So does that matter to you? Or you know, do we have um, enough of a track record here where you just, no, nah, I, I trust Manny Machado and it is what it is. Yeah, like I, I think you look at his track record and, you know, he had a 338 ex-WOBA last season. He had a 343 in 2019. He bounced back with the best expected WOBA of his career in 2020. So I don't really worry about that. The track record is too strong. The lineup is too good. I I just, I don't see any reason to think that like the slight dips that we've seen in his production are a harbinger. Like he, he is 30. So it's possible that we, you know, it's likely that we've seen the best of Manny Machado and maybe there's going to be some continued, uh, regression, I guess, not in the statistical term, but just in terms of his skill set. But I don't know. I, I think I prefer him to Rafael Devers a little bit uh, as the number two third baseman. I think it's very close, but Machado just, I don't think he's that far as a pure hitter and he offers more speed. So I, I think I'll, I'll take Machado. I think he's one of those guys who, even with the declining sprint speed, I think he's still going to be a useful stolen base option. Yeah, I think especially given the the, the, the rule, rule changes. changes, the limited number of pickoff throws and the explosion of stolen bases that a lot of people are expecting to see. But I think me, chief among them. So uh, uh, Manny Machado's steals totals have been very inconsistent over the years. Mm-hmm. He was nine. He had nine last year, nine for 10. So a good rate, 12 the previous year. Uh, six in 2020, which was obviously the short season. Five, six, oh, I'm sorry, five, 14, nine, zero, 20. <laughs> and we're back to. Uh, and he's basically at that point. Like you look at the sprint speed and it's 28th percentile. And it's like, wow, that's really yeah, slow. Like he's that. not going to keep, but he hasn't been fast. Like, actually, I don't think that's correct. I think Manny Machado probably doesn't sprint very often. <laughs> and I'm not saying, look, I'm not one of these like fuddy duddy types. who's like, you have to run out every ground ball. Like most of the time, it's fine. If you don't run out of ground ball, I don't hold it against Manny Machado, but I think it's probably fair to say that he's a person who uh, exerts himself. He picks his spots and uh, probably makes him look worse in that regard than he actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, what I was getting at was um, even though he does a, by the data appear to be slow. He has shown plenty of willingness to run. And I think Mm -hmm. as everybody will be more encouraged to run this year, I I think he'll be, um, he'll be among them and he'll be a even safer bet for steals than he's been in the past. One thing I noticed about his steals last year too, they were distributed very unevenly seven steals in the first 39 games. He had just two from May 21st on. That's 111 games. But if you remember, he also had this brutal um, ankle injury. He like rolled his ankle, slid off first base, and that happened in June. So maybe that kind of contributed him to uh, contributed to him slowing down and, and not running as much here in the second half. Rafael Devers has an ADP of 20.6, and last year, uh, quite consistent once again, 295 batting average, 27 home runs, 84 runs, 88 RBI. He had a brutal 
I believe it was uh, August last year that basically dragged the overall numbers down. He hit 163 with a 515 OPS that month, but then bounced back with a huge September again. So, Scott, that you know, it, it makes the numbers look worse than they are. And you look at the second half. I, I don't really think there's anything there. I think Devers is very consistent. The one mm-hmm. drawback that I think you can look at is the Red Sox lineup is not mm-hmm. nearly as good as it has been in years past. So I don't think that will affect the talent, what Devers puts out, but the counting stats, I think maybe could be in trouble there with him. Yeah, that was the biggest change for him between 2021 and 2022. He went from 113 RBI to 88. He went from 101 to 84. Uh, you see some potential in the Red Sox lineup. I don't think it's going to be a great lineup, but I could see it being middle of the pack. And as studly as Devers is, I'm not going to rule out him coming closer to the 2021 numbers than the 2022 numbers for runs and RBI. I personally have Rafael Devers as a round one pick. And I'm I'm checking now on Fantasy Pros. You can look at where individual analysts rank him. I am the highest in the industry right now, at least among those who, who've had their rankings pulled by, by Fantasy Pros. I have Devers 11th. And part of it is because I think he's really good. I think he's going to be a stud in everything but stolen bases. But part of it is the position scarcity I was referring to. I don't want to go for like a Freddie Freeman at that point at a very deep position like first base thinking, okay, I'll just get a third baseman on the bounce back. And then you got Devers and Machado going. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I was reaching a little for Austin Riley with what would be the... 14th pick at that point. And certainly if you're talking about a 15 team league, there's a chance you can miss out on Riley as well and can really box yourself out at third base that way. So I, I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to play games. I'm just going to take Devers late in round one. Chris said he preferred Machado a little to Devers. And I get that because of the stolen bases, but I think because stolen bases are going to be more prevalent this year, it's actually more important to, uh, to fill batting average early. Machado should be pretty good for batting average, but he hasn't been as consistent a source of that as Devers. And so I prefer Devers for that reason as well. But you know what? For the the, the, the same reasons I laid out for why I'd probably just take Devers late in round one, I might take Machado late yeah, in round you, one. Yeah, I too. think you're splitting hairs on both of them. And I think Riley's right there. Like Riley has a sort of different profile, but you know his is a little more power forward. But I, I think all three of those guys are... Neck, neck, and neck. I will say that, and I know we're about to get into Riley soon here, but I will say that in points leagues, it's different because sure. as, you know, it's hard to imagine Riley getting much better than he was last year. Last year, head-to-head points per game, Devers was 3.30. And as you pointed out, Frank, you know, that was with kind of a bumpy finish. 3.30 for Devers, 3.49 for Machado, 3.16 for Riley. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 harder to justify Riley. Yeah. He's even got more as a second rounder, I think, in this game in, in, in a points league. Yeah, and as we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, there's someone that goes in, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth round of a points league, in Alex Bregman, who is a standout in that format and actually averaged more fantasy points per game than Austin Riley last season. Let's talk about Riley before we get to Bobby Witt because he's like the hot ticket item this off season. Uh, Austin Riley, we talked about him a little bit. 273 batting average last year, 38 homers, 90 runs, 93 RBI. Chris, I remember you and I were skeptical last year. We were both 
dead wrong about yeah, Austin wrong. Riley. And he was awesome. Back-to-back seasons now with 33-plus homers, 90-plus runs, 90-plus RBI, the XBA, the X-slug, right in line with what he did last year. So I think he has entrenched himself as an elite third baseman for fantasy and someone we could trust hitting in the middle of one of, if not the best lineup in baseball with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, yeah I... Fully was wrong on him. I was skeptical about the big step he took forward last season, but yeah, he backed it up for the most part. If anything, last year was a little closer to his true talent level because I think he overperformed a little bit with batting average in his, I guess that wasn't his rookie season, but his first full season. Um, I feel points, 303 to 273. But the expected batting average, I think, was right in line both seasons. So I think that he's a useful batting average source. He certainly shouldn't hurt you. Although I think there's more, certainly more volatility in his profile just because of how much he strikes out. It's actually not a particularly alarming strikeout rate given how much power he hits for, but it's still more than Machado, more than Devers, certainly. So it, 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 it adds a little uncertainty, but what, what I think you get ahead of Devers and Machado is closer to elite power, you know, Devers, in a different park, I think the, what, 37 home runs he hit in 2021 would be a more predictable outcome year in and year out. But you know, you 33 see, in 2021 and then 38 last year. Oh, OK. okay. Uh, he does hit more of his home runs on the road. And so I think he's held back by Fenway in that regard. It helps him in other ways. It's a great batting average park. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking about Devers? Devers. Devers <laughs> I'm yeah, correcting you. It was, you it was 27 and 38, I think. Uh, something like that. Last year for Devers, it was 27. The year before that, it was 38. Yep. Yeah, I think somewhere in the middle of those two, like I think 27 is probably on the lower end, but he is held back by his home park in a way that like Riley doesn't play in a great park. Neither does Machado. But I think for the type of hitter they are, specifically Devers being a lefty, Fenway is a really, really hard place for left-handed hitters to hit for power. It's sort of like, with Barry Bonds in the early years of Safeco with, with David Ortiz at Fenway, where it kind of oh, those guys being so good kind of hit it. But Devers does play in a very hard park to hit homers as a left-handed hitter. He hits 330 at home or something like that, so it, you don't really care. But I think that does give Riley a, a clear edge on those two guys. Yeah, I would probably... In home runs. Yeah, I would, I would probably expect around 30 home runs for Devers. I think you're right. I mean, the power numbers in terms of how hard Austin Riley hits the ball... His average exit velocity, 92.5 miles per hour, 15.7% barrel rate, best among third basemen, and 10th best among qualified hitters. So when you look at the underlying power metrics, Austin Riley is basically as good as they come. Bobby Wood Jr., let's talk about it. He has third base and shortstop eligibility. The ADP now down to 21 when we factor in those five different sources. We know for most of the offseason, we've really only been working with like NFBC ADP, and in that league... In those leagues, he's typically a top 10 pick. And I I would say that we probably don't agree with that. But the ADP now is down to 21. And Bobby Wood Jr. finished as the 36th overall player last year as a rookie. Very impressive season, no doubt about it. 20 home runs, 30 steals at 22 years old. Scott, the problem is from an actual hitter perspective, a 722 OPS that was tied for 88th out of 130 qualified hitters. So... There is power, there is speed, but Bobby Witt Jr. doesn't walk all that much, and as a result, it holds back the OBP and the OPS. Where are you at, Scott? Yeah. What do you think about this new ADP? Would you actually draft him in like the late second round? 
uh, this ADP is reasonable. If I talk about drafting Nolan Arenado late in the second round, then I have to talk about drafting Bobby Witt there as well. Witt has the added eligibility of, of shortstop. Not that you're likely to play him there, given how much weaker third base is. But, it, you know, there's a chance. Yeah, the, the, the Bobby Witt had an impressive rookie season in terms of home run and stolen base total. 20 and 30, which are the main two numbers we tend to look at in fantasy. But nothing else was very good. Even the run in RBI totals, if you're talking a first-round contest, they're fine. Like combined 162 of them. Yeah. Uh, hit 254. Uh, yeah, that's 722 OPS. If, if Gosh, I, I can't remember a time uh, a first-round pick had an OPS that low, if there ever has been a time. So second round, you know, it's still pretty low. Uh, 294 on base percentage, same thing. Like those are just bad numbers, just straight up bad. There aren't many categories leagues that factor in on base percentage or OPS directly. Uh, and, you know, points leagues, it, it, it matters more. I would say he's not in the second round discussion, Bobby Witt, in a points format. But if we're, if we're just talking a standard five-by-five five scoring league, you know, particularly if you're counting on him improving a little in year two, maybe maybe he can get that batting average up closer to 270 than than the 254 he hit. Yeah, he should be fine here. He should be fine. But yeah, just not like it's 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 not reasonable to take him in round one. Um I I think that's just kind of a carryover effect from people, you know, how how um how how much we've had to um, reach for steals over the past few years. There's kind of this mindset that's going to take a while to go away, presuming things play out like they, I think they will this year with the stolen bases going up around the league, that, okay, we got to get all the base stealers until the base stealers are gone. Well, and Bobby and Witt had 30 of them last year. so I think part of it's also like it's easy to overstate that because he wasn't a great major league hitter, he was still a very, very good fantasy option. It's, it's, I think, easy to overstate the gap there because he was the number 36 player in Roto Leagues last season. So, you know, it, it, that's, that's that's not worth a first-round pick. It's yeah. a reach at even a 21 ADP, although that is basically where I have him ranked. But that's being that that is to say that for what is probably a fairly high variance and volatile skill set, because you know his he actually doesn't strike out very much because he actually makes contact at a pretty good rate relative to how much he swings and how much he chases. His plate discipline is bad, but he doesn't strike out a lot, I guess is the way to say it. Um, yeah. So he doesn't walk much, but it is to say that th- there's a relatively high floor here for what is a risky pick. It's not Adalberto Mondes. Yeah. You know, it, like right. even without the injury concerns, there were a lot more performance questions for Adalberto Mondes. That being said, you know, the comps that I've made is 2021 Luis Robert was basically a first round pick coming off a season where he had like a 950 OPS. Uh, 2020 Bo Bichette, or I guess, sorry, 2022 Luis Robert. 2021 Bo Bichette was basically a first round pick coming off like an 880 OPS. And 2020 Fernando Tatis was a first round pick coming off like a 960 OPS. And so these are the examples of the guys who probably were being drafted a little higher than they had earned so far over the previous three seasons, at least among the first two rounds. 
but they were a lot better than Bobby Witt also. And so that's where like when you start talking about Bobby Witt, even as a second round pick, it's it's definitely pushing him higher than he's earned. But late second, I think, makes a lot more sense. I think he's fine with a 21 ADP. I've got him at 19th overall. So right in that range makes perfect sense. It's just when we were talking about him as a first rounder and like a mid first rounder where I couldn't get on board. Yeah. If I had my druthers, I'd just rank Bobby Witt as a third rounder. You can have your but, druthers, Scott. But <laughs> they're well, yours. Because because of that, like the, the only justification for taking him in round two, I think, is position scarcity. And since I'm big into position scarcity, I can get behind taking Bobby Witt in round two for that reason. For people who don't care that much about position scarcity, I don't even see well, and, as a round two pick. I think you know? there's, it's not just position scarcity. It's also the scarcity of steals at that position, which yeah. is a slightly yeah. different thing. I think we're so. understating just a little bit what his upside can be. I mean, 20 home runs sure. and 30 we've steals. Been, at, we've in, been focusing it, on the downside. In his age but, 22 season, like it yeah. would not surprise me one bit if he goes 25 40 this year he was one of the fastest players in baseball 100th percentile sprint speed mm-hmm. and his max ev was 92nd percentile so i agree i i would take those other third basemen i think ahead of him i, I think and it's he, really close between wit and austin riley but i had, also don't want to discount the fact that there's yeah, a chance usually, he completely goes but, off but you get what i'm saying like it, it would take a big step forward for him to live up to that adp and you you normally don't want to make those kinds of uh, you normally don't want to project ahead so much with a pick this early. He's being drafted very close to his ceiling. Yeah, I, I, that's probably true. Um, uh, I had something else I wanted but to say, but I forgot it. He played 124 games in the minors as a 21-year-old at AA and AAA. After missing the entire 2020 season, everybody missed the 2020 season. Uh, he hit 33 and 29. So, you know, then and, and hit 290 with, you know, not alarming strikeout rates. He's definitely one of those guys who's more an interesting collection of skills than an actual, like, fully formed baseball player. Right. And he might have number one overall player upside eventually. And there might end up not being that much of a gap between him and, like, Julio Rodriguez, who were one and two in, in prospect rankings pretty much last year. But he's further away from that, or at least he was last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want two two things real quick. I thought of what I wanted to say. Your point about how he has a, a, a fairly high floor for somebody who's perceived as being drafted too high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that now because because I don't. I want to go so f- you've called Bobby Witt maybe a bust at the position. Yeah. I don't know that you feel that way now. With the you MVP. have to call someone a bust, and <laughs> it's kind of hard to come up like that. That's I think the hard. This is by far the hardest position to come up with a bust for. So it's, it's kind of a nitpicky distinction, but I would yeah. just, I would say Bobby Witt is being overrated. Not so much that he's going to bust yeah. because no, I agree because of that. the floor, that thing that you brought up the other thing, and this isn't so fantasy specific, but it's just funny. Uh, Julio Rodriguez last year, his war was, uh, according to baseball reference, he had a 6.2 war. Do you know what Bobby Witt's war was? He's terrible defensively. It, it Zero, couldn't have been good. <laughs> 0.8. He, had a, he yeah. was, wasn't even worth a full win for oh the Royals being on their roster all season. Yikes. So that's, that's, that's nothing to do with fantasy. 
I mean, I guess the fact that you know it reflects the low OBP and OBP and everything, but it's just it's just funny. Yeah, let's talk about one more name that goes shortly after this group that we just talked about. Nolan Arenado has an ADP of thirty two point six, and he figured out the batting average his second season in St. Louis two ninety three. 30 home runs, 103 RBI, chipped in five steals. That was a career high for Nolan Arenado. <laughs> the BABIP went from 249 in 2021 to 290 last year. The question, Chris, is should we buy it? I know Arenado makes a lot of contact. The line drive rate went up a little bit, but we're still talking a lot of fly balls, a lot of infield pop-ups. I think he's probably more of a 260 to 270 hitter than the 293 he hit last year. I agree with that. I was definitely on the Arenado was my bus pick at the position last year. So I got that one wrong. Um, but like, I still think there's a fairly thin margin for error with his skill set. You know, he, he's basically perfectly tuned his swing to generate a good amount of power out of a swing that generally speaking, doesn't result in a lot of hard hit balls. So, you know, the, he hits a lot of fly balls. He hits them on the, the, in the air to the pull side. And, and that helps him hit a lot of home runs. I still think if like he has one of those seasons where he hits 25 homers instead of 30, I think everything could kind of fall apart fairly quickly on him. You know, I could see it like a 240 average, 25 homers, 80 RBI in a worst case scenario. But like he also out routinely outperforms his expected stats. He's one of those players that, very clearly has maximized his skill set in a way that is sustainable. So I think there's still some risk here, especially with batting average, but it's hard to argue too much. He's a very, very good three category guy. Yes. And I would maybe two and a half categories. (laughs) Yeah. Only 73, only 73 runs batting. Yeah. I think he's probably more. Yeah passable to good in batting average, whereas RBI and home runs, I think he's going to be consistently up, like clearly above average. Well, you're saying he scored only 73 runs last year. Arenado did Frank. And um, that's true. He reached base at a 358 clip. Like the, the 73 runs could go up. 73 is probably low, clip. but I think like 90 is probably unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, he's a poor base it, runner. To further the point about his power and, and his swing being perfectly tailored, if I'm reading Nolan Arenado's spray chart right, every single home yep. run he hit last year was to straightaway left field, none yep. to right, <laughs> none to even center. Yep, nothing. So that you know, I get it, but at the same time, he keeps doing it. So I'm I'm disinclined to discount him. The other he, thing, he has not hit a home run right of center field. Like if you just draw a line straight up the middle. He has not hit a home run to the right of that imaginary line since 2019. Uh, wow. <laughs> he struck out 11.6% of the time yep. last year. Mm-hmm. Like elite contact skills for Nolan Arenado, which I think gets lost because his fly ball rate makes him not a batting average standout. So it gets lost in these five by five discussions. But in points leagues, you know, I mentioned earlier Austin Riley had 3.16 points mm-hmm. per game's la- game last year. Nolan Arenado last year was 3.40. Nolan Arenado actually had more points per game than Rafael Devers last year, which is not an argument for taking Arenado over Devers in points leagues, but I think there is an argument for taking him over Riley in points leagues. I don't think I'd do that either, but there's an argument. Arenado, he's like if Jose Ramirez wore like 40-pound ankle weights. 
Like he's just like it, the swing is very like obviously right-handed versus switch hitter, but like the swing is so perfectly tuned to maximizing what he gets out of it. It's just that, you know, Jose Ramirez is very fast and Nolan Arenado is one of the slowest players in baseball. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Let's drop down about 25 picks to another man who is on an island in the fifth round. It is Alex Bregman with an ADP of 57.6. Last year, he hit 259 with 23 home runs. The counting stats were great, as they always are, in the Houston Astros lineup. 93 runs scored, 93 RBI. One of six qualified hitters with more walks than strikeouts. Again, makes him a fantastic target in head-to-head points leagues or in any type of OBP categories league. I think he's still fine in your standard 5x5 five five roto. But Scott, you want to talk about the strikeout rate for Arenado. It was great for Alex Bregman as well, 11.7%. And he's a lot like Nolan Arenado. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he hits a lot of fly balls to the pull side, lackluster stat cast numbers, but he makes the most of his skill set. And there was a big second half, so I'm wondering if maybe that's something that he can build off this year. Maybe get up over 25 home runs with, you know, a 260, 270 batting average as well. And if Alex Bregman does that, I don't know that there's a huge difference between him and, and Arenado, who's going two rounds earlier. I think Bregman's peak at this stage, and I know he's been a 40 homer guy in the past, 2019, when everybody yeah. said it career high in home runs. I, I think Bregman's realistic peak for home runs at this stage of his career is is 25. He got to 23 last year. 25 is probably as good as he's going to be able to do. He's. He's, he's a more extreme version of Arenado, I would say. Um, I think because not just his strikeouts, it, it would, strikeout rate was good, as you pointed out, Frank. He, had, he has a great walk rate, too. More walks than strikeouts last year, actually, 87 versus 77. So I think in a points league context, you could say Bregman and Nolan Arenado. It, it, it might be a close call who finishes higher between them. But in categories leagues, I think Arenado is is a you know a, a pretty good bet to hit five to ten more home runs than Bregman. And we we think he's not gonna hit 290 again, but oh Bregman hit like 250 last year. So I, I would say Arenado's a better bet for batting average too, even if he has some decline there. I, I think it's a pretty clear gap. And I think Bregman uh I'd have trouble drafting him before like round six in a five-by-five league. And there's a good chance somebody's going to reach for him higher than that because of position scarcity. So I I don't feel comfortable going the route of passing up an early third baseman and just saying, okay, I can grab Bregman here because there's only one of Bregman. And any other drafter there who decides I got to fill third base now is is likely to go for him. Yeah, Here's my favorite Alex That's a pretty... Bad injury history, too. He managed to stay healthy last year, but there there is a little more risk there with the health. Here's my favorite Alex Bregman stat. You ready for it? Yeah. Let's go. His expected home runs at Minute Maid Park. Is it still Minute Maid Park? Am I aging myself there? Uh, the Houston Astros Baseball Stadium. I think so. I think <laughs> His expected home runs there, 33. His expected home runs at Camden, Orioles Park at Camden Yards, whatever they call it there. <laughs> Opposite end of the spectrum, yeah. Nine. Wow. <laughs> so that tells you what kind of hitter Alex Bregman is. He's hitting everything to left field, barely yeah. left center, and uh, it's a great park. I think as long as he plays there, it's going to continue to look very good for him. 
Now, everyone talks about Yankee Stadium, but no one brings up the Crawford boxes in uh, Houston, huh? It's, it's pretty short Lots parts there. Lots of people bring up the Crawford boxes. Yeah, all right. All right. I just want to make sure that we get that on the record. Uh, I do like Alex Bregman. I think he's fine. But like Scott mentioned, if, if your plan is to get him, all you need is one person in your league that likes you more than Bregman, and then you miss out on him. And then we yep. see another big drop here in ADP. Yeah. Some might call Alex Bregman the cliff. I think it's probably after this next player we're what, about to talk can about. I, can I just get one little thing in about Bregman in case to, to like really drive home the point? Let's do it. Bregman is the single third baseman whose value changes the most in points leagues versus five by five mm-hmm. leagues. And it's much higher in points leagues. You could draft him in round four in points leagues. I think that's totally justifiable. Witt on the other end. He, Bobby Witt probably loses the most value in points leagues relative to uh, to rotisserie or category leagues. All right, sorry, I'll stop interrupting. Let's drop down 30 picks, and we get to Gunnar Henderson, who's arguably the top prospect in baseball with Corbin Carroll. Uh, very young, doesn't turn 22 years old until June of this year. Does Gunnar Henderson, small sample size last year with the Orioles, only 34 games, but he hit 259 with four homers, one steal, walks a lot, 12% walk rate. Struck out quite a bit, 26%, so you hope he can improve on that a little bit and improve on the ground balls because we saw a 60% ground ball rate, but it wasn't as bad in AAA or even in AA. Chris, the more I look into Gunnar Henderson, the more I like him. He hits the ball extremely hard. Mm -hmm. He's really fast, 91st percentile sprint speed. I think there's a lot to like here and obviously has the prospect pedigree. Awesome year in the minors. Um, You know, I, I think the only question marks that I have with him are Kenny hit lefties. He hit 130 with a 448 OPS. It's it's pretty bad. So that that's probably my biggest well, question mark with him right now. Lefties and anything but fastballs really. He was quite bad against all non-fastballs last season. Really um, small sample though. So that's small sample size. Yeah. yeah, you're talking about 75 pitches off speed, 179 breaking, but uh, 299 expected woba against breaking pitches, 284 against off-speed pitches, whiff rates above 30% on both. Uh, against fastballs, it was 385 x but 21% whiff rate. So, look, he was 21, and he he's not a finished product by any means. I think it's a very volatile skill set here because there could be a lot of swing and miss. There could be non-maximized uh, swing outcomes, but there's clearly a ton of upside here. There's a much greater than non-zero chance of a star-level outcome with Gunnar Henderson, I think he's a, a fine pick at his price. I like the play discipline a lot, too. I mean, 23% chase rate for a player this young, 10.3% swinging strike. I think there's a chance that strikeout rate you know, drops down a little bit to around 20%. And mm-hmm. you know, as hard as he hits the ball, I think obviously good things can happen. Scott, are you in at this ADP 89 for Gunnar Henderson? I, I have to be because he plays third <laughs> base. That's the thing. Uh, Gunnar Henderson's my number one prospect this year. I release a top 100 prospect list every year, as many people do. I have Gunnar Henderson number one. But it's, it's as Chris was saying, it feels more volatile than some of the number one prospects I've had in recent years. Uh, and so if he didn't play third base, I don't know that I'd like Gunnar Henderson at this price. But... You know, if, if I've missed out on the position until this point, I feel like it's it's worth taking a shot at the upside. All right. And if you don't get one of those top eight third basemen, then good luck because <laughs> there's not much else. We'll talk about that. Let's take a quick break before we do that. The schedule for this week, obviously, today we've got our third base preview. Tomorrow we'll have players we love on Valentine's Day. Uh, then we have outfield preview parts one and two. And then we'll end the week with a mailbag. So send in your questions 
email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I, or leave a five-star rating on Apple. Drop a question in the review. We'll also have uh, some player profiles on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5. So if you have a player you want to hear about, send that in as well. Put player profile in the subject line of the email. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's do sleepers, breakouts, and busts for the third base position. And Chris, we'll start with you this time. A sleeper. Who you got? Yeah, Brett Beatty. I'm going with a couple of prospects for my sleeper and breakout. You could kind of throw them in any order you want, but just want to talk about the the top prospects at the position because this is where if third base is going to not uh, be as bad as we think it is, it's going to probably be because a couple of these guys step forward. Brett Beatty, uh, there are some questions about whether he's going to stick at third base in the long term. That's something for dynasty players to worry about in 2024 or 2025. The question at this point is whether he'll hit enough to, you know, have the Mets live with what could be, you know, somewhat underwhelming defense at third base. He was really, really good at AAA last year at in the minors last season. Didn't really play much at AAA, so there's a decent chance that he goes back to the minors to start the season. It depends on how much they like Eduardo Escobar and his late season surge, but 950 OPS in double a last season, 19 homers and only 89 games started elevating the ball has by all accounts, very good quality of contact metrics in the minors. So I think there's a lot to like about Brett Beatty. Uh, if he gets the chance early on. All right. Yes, he is a prospect with the Mets, Brett Beatty. And in the limited sample we saw last year, he hit the ball extremely hard. He did it against left-handed pitching too. So it's a very small mm-hmm. sample. We'll see if he can you know, keep that up. But uh, good things coming, hopefully, for Brett Beatty. On, on, on Eduardo Escobar's late surge. So he was playing with an oblique injury for much of the, the second half, as I understand it. Final 34 games after an IL stint. Eduardo Escobar hit 317 with eight homers and a 951 OPS. He's old. He's not as high upside as Brett Beatty, but I have a feeling the Mets are going to give him every opportunity to start the year. Plus, it was also weird that they were willing to block Brett Beatty with Carlos Correa, deal that ultimately yeah. never came to fruition because of a failed physical for Correa. But I don't know. It's also and, possible that they view him as a viable option in a corner, like a like left field, like an out, yeah, like left or yeah. right. Yeah, yeah so. that's that's been discussed. I love Bre- Brett Beatty as a hitter. I just wonder if the Mets love him as much as I do. Fair enough, Scott. A sleeper for you. 
Anthony Rendon, guy we haven't talked about yet, and a guy who, given the scarcity at third base, I'm surprised he's going outside the top 200 picks because he's missed a lot of time with injury the last couple years. He's over 30, but there hasn't been a lot of decline in the actual skill set. Uh, now, the, the production has been you know, not what we're looking for in the little bit of time he's played the last year. So 47 games last year, 58 the year before, uh, hit 240 and 229 in those two seasons. But like in terms of quality of contact, in terms of plate discipline, you know, he used to be a guy who walked more than he struck out, sort of like Alex Bregman. It's not quite that good anymore, but it's still really, really good. And I, I think it's too early to write Anthony Rendon off given how little he's played the last two years. So hard to count on him. I get it. But for the price, like that seems like a better gamble to me given Rendon's track record than, uh, gosh, ADP wise, Alec Bohm is going ahead of him. Kid Brian Hayes, like that, that feels like assured mediocrity by comparison. Anthony Rendon, the ADP is 216.4. Can he stay on the field? That's the biggest question mark. He has played a total of 105 games out of a possible 324 over the past two seasons. For what it's worth, John Heyman reported in early February that Rendon is feeling fantastic physically and projected to back cleanup behind, you know, Taylor Ward, Trout, and Otani. It's a good spot to be in, mm-hmm. you know, the top half of a really good lineup, but can he stay on the field? That that's the biggest question for well, Anthony Rendon. I think there are questions about whether he can perform at this point. You know, I, I wonder he's thirty-three, I think. Thirty turns thirty-three this year. Yeah. So like and the production hasn't been there the last two seasons as well. He's been hurt and dealing with very serious injuries, but it's fair to wonder if the high level outcome is still possible. I agree he's a a f- viable sleeper for sure. But yeah, I I really hope we see it. He was one of my favorite players before all this stuff happened. And it's really sad that the highlight of his last two seasons is that left-handed home run he hit. And that's just kind of it. That's like the only good thing that happened. Yeah. It was an amazing thing though. Yeah, It was really cool. Batting left-handed against a position player and he hit it out. It was awesome for Anthony Rendon. Going a little bit after him is someone I have as a sleeper. And Chris, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said earlier on in the podcast. If you miss out on that top eight, I'm probably just waiting and then I'm grabbing a veteran and a young guy, and hopefully one of those two work out. One of the veterans I like to uh, draft is Justin Turner, who signed with the Boston Red Sox this offseason. And overall, the numbers last year, not great. Obviously, he's getting up there in age. He's pushing 40 years old. Final 42 games, he was really good. 318 batting average, five homers, 14 doubles, and 887 OPS. And the plate discipline is still really good. We're not talking six years in a row with a walk rate over 9% and a strikeout rate under 17% for Justin Turner. So if you miss out on everything else, maybe you take a Rendon or a Turner, and you back it up with Brett Beatty or one of these breakouts that we're about to talk about. And Chris, you can kind of start us off with a, a young, upside breakout at third base. Yes, young. Uh, Josh Young, <laughs> Texas Rangers third base prospect. Still a prospect, I believe. He, he had a cup of coffee last season that went very poorly. 38% strikeout rate. Uh, 204 average, didn't really have good quality of contact metrics. Not a lot to write home about there, although it's worth remembering he had only played 31 minor league games last year before getting called up because he was coming back from surgery to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder. I think that's as good an excuse as any, especially when he's only played 101 games between AA and AAA 
as it is. So we're not talking a, a, a guy who has had a robust, uh, a lot of opportunities, I guess, to, to develop. So even though he will be 25 this season, he's not quite as experienced as his age may make you think. That being said, he's 25. So he, this is kind of a, I don't want to say a put up or shut up season, but like if he doesn't hit the ground running, my interest level is going to fall pretty precipitously, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for last season. The minor league numbers good. The, the scouting reports still very good, especially in terms of like the raw power. So I do think that there is a chance Josh Young is someone we're talking about who hits, you know, 270, 25 plus homers in what could be a decent lineup this year. At I least the, the most, top half of that lineup. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the most encouraging thing is, yeah, so he, hit, he struck out 38% of the time in his call up, which is awful. Of course, he can't, it's untenable. But, um, like making contact was something he always did really well in the minors. In fact, that came, that was there before the power showed up for for Josh Young, which is spelled J U N G, by the way. Yes, yes like the German philosopher. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I'll go ahead and, and pivot into my breakout here because it was between Josh Young and the guy I ultimately chose, which is Jordan Walker, yet to debut prospect for the Cardinals, few years younger than Young. Um, and uh, supposed to be in the mix for an outfield job for the Cardinals this spring. They're giving him a long look. Now, I'm, I'm a little skeptical it's going to work out because they're overloaded in the outfield as it is. Few of those players are as talented as Jordan Walker, but they're talented enough to deserve a longer look from the Cardinals. So I think Jordan Walker will really have to knock their socks off to, to win the opening day center field job, but it could happen, and if it does happen, I think Jordan Walker is the closest thing in the player pool to this year's Julio Rodriguez. And like Rodriguez at this time of the year ago, he's not getting a lot of action in drafts. I know I keep talking about him as an outfielder in center field. This is third base preview. He's eligible at third base because that's the position he's played primarily in the minors. So we can take advantage of that, uh, even though he's not expected to play it in the majors. Jordan Walker hits the ball incredibly hard. He's basically a content, consensus top five prospect, no matter whose rankings you look at. And at AA last year, as a 20-year-old, he hit 306, 19 homers, 22 steals, and 898 OPS. So I would say, uh, though I don't want to find myself in a position where I'm having to just roll the dice on upside at third base late, Jordan Walker is the most upside you could possibly find late. And I like the comp that you made, Scott. Look, the the real answer is there's probably not a Julio Rodriguez this year, but I actually had the Welsh tell me that his if there was a pick, it would be Jordan Walker. And Welsh is someone who studies prospects, and obviously he's he's much more into that world, and he's all in on Jordan Walker as well. So I, I also have Jordan Walker as my breakout. You want to pair him with like a Justin Turner or a Rendon, like I said. One thing that I noticed, I went out to first pitch Arizona in November, got to see Jordan Walker play. He's fast for a big mm-hmm. guy. He's six foot five. He had 22 steals last year in double a. If he, if he's up with the Cardinals, like early on in the season, there's a chance that he can go like 15, 15, or if everything works out, he can go 2020. Like he has yeah. that kind of skill set. So he has had throws clocked at over a hundred miles per hour from the outfield, uh, which is pretty fast. He has also, uh, in the Arizona fall league, I saw this stat, um, I think it was from baseball prospectus. His 90th percentile exit velocity 
was 111.2 miles per hour. We're talking a small sample size, but 90 year old for a 20 year old yeah. that would have ranked fourth among major league players that's, last season. Wow. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I think, you know, I, I understand he just hit 19 home runs and 119 games granted at double a last year, but like the power is, is the most impressive part of his skill set. Yeah. Like he could be, uh, 25, 15 as a rookie. I get, uh, like I, I think a, a stat line much like Julio Rodriguez put up is very possible. It, it would take a lot going right as it did for for J Rod, but like Walker is that level of talent, yep. I would say. And the ADP for Walker right now is two fifty, so you can get him l- very late in your drafts. A bust for me. You're we talking beforehand. It's it's kind of hard to find a bust at third base, and the Everybody's ADP is so actually <laughs> the ADP and has I'm, gone and down. And frankly, I'm offended by your choice. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris, but uh, yeah, my my bust is Cabrian Hayes was an ADP around 200, so that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, how much risk is there taking a guy that late? It's just it's not going to be for me. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, he's dealt with a lot of injuries so far in his young career, uh, but there's outside of out of position steals. There's just not really much going on. Um, since he debuted in 2020, from 2021 on, he's batting 249 with a 356 slugging percentage that is tied for sixth lowest during that span. So he hits the ball hard. A lot of it is on the ground. He doesn't put the ball in the air. He doesn't pull the ball very much. So I just think that the the upside, the power is very, very limited when it comes to uh, Cabrian Hayes. So I have him as a bust. I'm sorry, Chris. And you are muted. I'm going to put on like my John Gruden hat as an analyst and just like this guy's a baseball player. Like that's that's part of why like Cabrian Hayes is like he hits the ball really, really hard. He makes a pretty good amount of contact. He might be the best defensive player in baseball. I think last year he was the most valuable defensive player, at least by some metrics. I think baseball savants uh, defensive metrics. And so like that kind of profile I feel like it's sort of like Matt Chapman where like, I just kind of want to bet on them figuring it out because they're just so good at like baseball. And I know that's not like the most advanced form of analysis, but it's also just with Cabrian Hayes. It really is just like hit the ball in the air a little more often. That's really the only pro he's got an all fields approach. So like, even if he does hit the ball in the air, he's not going to be a 30 Homer guy, but I think he could be a 2020 guy with like some pretty small tweaks. And so when I do my late round third base thing, it's usually him or Alec Bohm, who I think has a very similar profile as a hitter. Doesn't have anywhere near the defensive ability or the foot speed, but very similar hitter. Um, and then I pair them with Josh Young or Jordan Walker or, or, or someone like someone like that. All right, Chris. Well, we already talked about Bobby Witt earlier. Is there anything else you'd like to add to him being a Not really? It's just the price. It's really just I don't like him as a first rounder. I don't like him in the early second, but if he's there in the late second, I'm willing to take him. So it's not really a strongly held conviction. Scott, a bust for you. Yeah. So I'm having to go with somebody who's drafted outside of the top 200 and sort of like Brian Hayes. The reason I feel like anybody gravitates toward him at all is because, well, he stole 20 bases last year, 23 specifically for this guy, Josh Rojas of the Diamondbacks. And that's basically all he did. He hit 269. He hit nine home runs. Uh, you look at the the batted ball data, the stat cast data. There's not a lot of hope for more power than that from Rojas. He had some big seasons in the minors, but we're we're beyond that. The guy's 28 years old. So I think this is who he is. And is that good enough to stay in the lineup for the Diamondbacks? That's a big part of it for me. They they brought in Evan Longoria 
they brought in last year they traded for a young guy um uh formerly with kansas city emmanuel rivera yeah emmanuel rivera who's still on the you know could still make the opening day roster so they have alternatives to josh rojas at, at third base even if he plays every day i don't think we can pencil him in for another 20 plus steals i mean year before he had nine steals in 139 games his sprint speed is middling so i I think that's probably going to end up a wasted pick i i don't think it's realistic to think of josh rojas as a steal specialist um there was another name i consider here who's going a little earlier brandon drury but I got some I got some things I'm going to want to say about him in a minute. All right, we'll get to Brandon Drury in just a bit. The third baseman that you want to draft most, all things considered. Scott, give me a name. Who do you want? Uh, I mean, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is the name, <laughs> but you know, if I don't have a first or second pick, probably not going to happen. Uh, so probably, probably Rafael Devers. I, that's that's probably the third baseman I'm going to. If I draft anywhere from tenth to. 16th that's that's probably a guy i'm gonna end up with a lot chris or 10th to 16th if i draft anywhere from 10th to 12th that's probably gonna be <laughs> who i get never mind you, you understood what i said fair enough chris i think it'll probably be jordan walker actually yeah uh, i i think it makes sense at this position just kind of taking a shot on the upside i'm with scott i mean i really do want to get one of those second round guys if i can i, I really like machado and Austin Riley, just for the lineups that they're in. Uh, Obviously, the Padres and the Braves should be awesome once again this year. Third base prospects that you need to know. We've talked about three of them so far. Josh Young with the Rangers. Jordan Walker with the Cardinals, who, again, is likely to play outfield, but has third base eligibility on CBS. And Brett Beatty with the Mets. Two other names. Chris, one you mentioned earlier, Spencer Steer with the Reds. Seems like he's going to play somewhere for the Reds every day. I don't know where. Is it going to be third? Is it going to be first? Or probably move him around a little bit. And Curtis Mead with the Tampa Bay Rays. Anything on those two? Yeah, I think Spencer Steer, he's probably not a great real-life prospect. Not a top 100 guy. He's a little older. Minor league track record isn't great, but it's not terrible. Mid-800s OPS. The biggest thing is he's probably going to play every day in Cincinnati. It's a great home park. We've seen mediocre hitters look very good there. And there's a chance he's a little more than mediocre. I don't think he's a superstar by any means, but like, I I don't necessarily think there's that much difference between him and Jonathan India as a hitter. He's Steer's not going to steal as many bases, but he could have a similar kind of outcome. Scott, is there anyone else that I'm missing here? I, I know I threw the name Curtis Mead in there as well from Tampa Bay. Yeah, and Curtis Mead should get a chance in the majors. I mean, he's a, he's a better prospect than Steer. Really good hit tool. Uh, had a hit 298 with a 922 OPS last year. Hit 321 with a 911 OPS the previous year. A lot of prospect towns really like Curtis Mead. His problem is he doesn't play third base well. He doesn't play anything well. He's just a bat. And that's a tough fit in any lineup, but I think especially the Rays lineup. They just don't have a lot of patience for that sort of thing. So I wonder if he's going to get enough playing time to live up to his potential. But if he does, the bat is very impressive. All right, let's get into the rest of ADP. Three sluggers going between picks 125 and 165. Max Muncy, who we spoke about on the second base preview. Matt Chapman at 149.6. And Eugenio Suarez at 163.6. Chris, I know we reference the Spider-Man meme a lot, but man, 
Matt Chapman and Suarez, they are about as similar as you can get. It's low batting average. It's a good amount of power. I actually prefer Chapman a little bit because the strikeout rate is better and he actually hits the ball a little bit harder than Suarez. Plus, it's a contract year, so if you subscribe to that kind of theory. Uh, but realistically, I, I don't really love either. What do you think, Chris? Chapman yeah. and Suarez. Chapman's so frustrating because I think before his hip injury, he's someone who I would have been really, really excited about getting out of out of Oakland. But I think that hip injury really like sent his career on a different path. You see it in the defensive metrics. He hasn't been as good there. He hasn't been as good of a hitter. Um, I... I might prefer Suarez just because I think he's a better source of power, but he's probably a little a little more all or nothing as a hitter. Although, you know, Chapman doesn't strike out as much, but he hits so many infield fly balls that it kind of works out to be the same. Chapman, what I wrote in the third base preview article on the site is Chapman provides the answer to the question: What if Matt or what if Nolan Arenado just struck out a whole lot more? And that's kind of what the profile is. He hits the ball in the air to the pull side a ton. He actually hits the ball harder than Arenado. But because there are inconsistencies in his swing and because he strikes out so much, I, I don't think he's ever going to uh, you know, live up to what we thought he could be back in back in Oakland. They were very similar last year, Chapman and Suarez. I would say Suarez has a much lower floor that we've seen. In sure, in bad average, especially. Uh, 2020 and 2021 combined, so the previous two seasons. Heading into last year, he hit 199, which it's hard to get much fantasy value, <laughs> no matter how many home runs he's hitting. It's hard to get much yep. fantasy value of a sub out of a guy who's sub 200. So 236, like Suarez hit last year, kind of surprised me, frankly, going from Cincinnati to Seattle, that he had that kind of bounce-back season. But 236 might be the high point for him. I, I don't know that it gets much better for Eugenio Suarez, especially since the strikeout rate keeps rising and rising. I will say in both instances, though, if things go poorly with either, you should probably just move on fairly quickly to oh. to whichever of the young guys shows upside or pair one of them with with one of the young guys. So yeah, uh, that's that. Yeah, Suarez's downside is probably worse. It, that shouldn't impact your team because you should know going in that either one of these guys you shouldn't be tethered to. And with Suarez, last thing I'll point out with him, he, he did get better in the second half too. His slug jumped 50 points. His fly ball rate went from 42% in the first half to 50% in the second half. And he hit the ball a lot harder. 91.9 mile per hour average exit velocity. So we know what to expect, but there should be, if nothing else, a lot of power from both of these guys, Chapman and Suarez. We spoke about Jose Miranda on our first base preview, but he goes in this range and does have third base eligibility as well. I thought about I thought about calling him a bust too, but like I was saying for wit, I feel like Miranda's just being overdrafted. There's a lot of presumption of upside that I don't think is there, but you can hear more of that on the first base podcast. For sure. Let's jump down. We've got four names going from picks 190 to 200. Brandon Drury, who signed with the Angels this offseason, had an awesome year last year, an ADP of 196.2. Alec Bohm at 197.6. Key Brian Hayes at 203. And Anthony Rendon at 216.4. We spoke about a lot of these names so far. Scott, the one, one of them that we haven't is Brandon Drury. Yeah, so I'm thinking Brandon Drury is going to be a bust this year from the perspective of, well, he can't possibly live up to last year's numbers. His home away splits uh, last year. So I'll, I'll pull them up in just a second. But like basically he was a monster at Cincinnati and 
a dud everywhere else. It was mm-hmm. like a difference between a 925 OPS and a 775 OPS. And, you know, after going San Diego, you basically saw it play out. Um, so, yeah, I that seems like somebody who's not going to be able to repeat the overall season line, but like that's not a secret to anybody. He's barely being drafted inside the top 200. And so considering he's a guy with eligibility at not only a third base, but also second base first base. If for some reason you might need to use him there, a pretty handy player. If he's even two thirds of what he was last year, he's going to, he's with the angels now signed with the angels this off season. It's not Cincinnati, but it's much closer to Cincinnati, that hitting environment, than it is to San Diego. San, San Diego and Cincinnati basically on opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. The past three years, I think the Angels have had the fourth best park for hitters. Uh, and it's not really known as a hitter's park. That's been a recent change. So he might do fine there. Like He might be a 260 hitting 25 homer guy there in a, in a lineup with a lot of potential star power too between Otani and Trout and... Rendon if he bounces back and it could be a pretty good situation for Drury so I I think even though the knee-jerk reaction is to say bust and you know maybe maybe he has a bad April and we're all moving on from him that that seems highly plausible but at the same time there may be something halfway useful given the price yeah Drury was the 60th overall player in Roto last year the ADP as I mentioned 196 so not being drafted anywhere close to the player that he was last season. Chris, you mentioned the name Alec Bohm a little bit earlier, and I actually was going to write him up as a sleeper, and then the more I looked into him, the more I didn't like Alec Bohm. It's He was fine last year. He bounced back. He hit 280, 13 home runs. The counting stats were pretty good, playing every day for the Phillies. He lowered the strikeout rate, but Chris, I have questions. Can he maintain that strikeout rate? Because it improved drastically. Can he mm-hmm. you know, maintain uh, those big gains? And he... Hit the ball on, someone's calling me and it's coming through my phone, uh, coming through my computer. Sorry about that. Um, and he lowered the ground ball rate, which was huge for him. But again, he did all of that just to hit 13 home runs. I just, I don't know what the upside is basically for Alec Bohm. Yeah, I think it would be unrealistic to expect even more than 20 home runs. But like if he did hit 20 home runs, he would probably have a pretty good season because I do think he's a good bet for batting average. He had a 290 XBA last season. That was the top 2%. In the league, he makes a decent amount of contact, and I think he can probably sustain a lot of the strikeout rate gains that he made, if not all of them. He basically just swung at everything uh, last season, which, you know, when you make a decent amount of contact and hit the ball hard, that's not a bad idea. I just, you know, it's probably hard to drive the ball when you're not being particularly selective, especially when you don't have a swing geared towards hitting fly balls anyway. So I do think like, the best case scenario is probably good average, useful run production, but not much power. Um, but I think he could still be better than he was last season. It's not necessarily the most likely outcome, uh, but I, I could see him being useful. I don't mind grabbing Alec Bohm with my third to last pick uh, if I'm punting third base. Big splits, too. Big left-right splits. Yes. He hit 352 with a 935 OPS against lefties. 253 with a 629 OPS against right-handed pitching. 
you know, most of the pitchers in baseball are, uh, are righties. <laughs> yeah. So it's he needs to improve. And, and that's pretty consistent with his career as well. That is Alec Bohm. Four more names going from picks 220 to 250. Josh Rojas, who we spoke about. Josh Young, who we spoke about. Justin Turner, who we spoke about. Oh, two names we haven't talked about. Ryan McMahon at 246.2. And Yandy Diaz with an ADP of 247.2. Uh, Scott, both of these guys are pretty boring. But if you play in a deeper league and you just kind of need okay stats and a safe floor. I think that's where McMahon and Diaz could be useful, but yep. anything kind of shallower, I don't know how much value they're going to have. Yeah, I think they're both kind of underrated if we're talking a deeper league context. Um, Ryan McMahon seems like a very safe bet for 20 to 25 home runs. He's done that three of the, well, it would be four straight years if 2020 season wasn't what it was. Uh, so that's, you know, that's that's pretty useful at this point. And Yandy Diaz, if we're talking specifically a points league, because his plate discipline is so good, he averaged 2.81 points per game last season. Uh, let's see, where's it? He just comp? he just doesn't play every day. Uh, he's not like he, he's not a part time player, but he's somewhere yeah. between a part time and a full time player. I think he played so, more last so year a, though, more a than Eugenio, ever before. Eugenio Suarez averaged 2.63 versus. Um, versus Yandy Diaz is 2.81. So we're not talking about a high-end player, but if you're you're comparing him to a consensus top 12 guy in Suarez, you know, he, he might have a role in deeper points leagues. The OBP is fantastic for Diaz, too. I mean, you, you, that kind of lends itself to the points league discussion, but uh, more walks and strikeouts, a 401 on-base percentage for Yandy Diaz last year. I spoke about Justin Turner earlier. It's a lot like Yandy Diaz. Really good in points leagues, too. So if you play in a deeper league or you just kind of miss out, you could take Turner and one of those young guys. Turner, 2.85 fantasy points per game last year. Even better than Yandy Diaz was. Three names going from picks 250 to 265. So pretty close range here. Jordan Walker, who we spoke about. John Birdie, ADP of 258.8. And Luis Arias, ADP of 262.3. Chris, last year, John Birdie from our Miami Marlins led baseball with 41 steals. The question now with Luis Arias, how much is he going to play? I think legitimate question marks there for John Birdie. And Luis Arias... I had him as a breakout last year. It didn't work out. Vindication! <laughs> he did not take that step as I thought he was going to. He's still solid, but uh, I don't know that there's much upside uh, with Luis Arias either. Yeah, I mean, it, you can make excuses if you want. He was hurt in spring training. He was much better in the second half, so maybe that played a part. But yeah, he, he probably doesn't have a ton of upside. Birdie... The Marlins have like 11 second basemen in their lineup. He's one of them. I don't know if he's going to play every day. So, you know, it's it's kind of a tough spot for him. But he will be useful in stolen bases. That's probably it. And there will probably be a month stretch where yeah. he plays every day and is a must-start player in Roto. Yeah, it's, it's just, just not necessarily someone you need to draft in a 12-team right, league. Right, you, you never That will happen at some point. Attrition will open up a spot for Birdie, but are you going to be able to hold on to him in your league till that point? Probably not. Yeah. Past 380p, we see Eduardo Escobar, Yoan Moncada, Ha-Sung Kim, who has shortstop and third base eligibility, Patrick Wisdom, who I believe has first and third, and Josh Donaldson all the way down at 356.3. I actually kind of like him if you play in a deeper league just for that positional eligibility. I think he's going to play second base this season for the Padres too, so he'll gain that. He'll have second, third, and short, hitting in you know what should be one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, Scott, any names stand out to you here? Escobar, Moncada, Hassan Kim, 
Patrick Wisdom, and Josh Donaldson. If Escobar is able to hold off Brett Beatty, and I pointed out earlier in the show his numbers after returning from that oblique injury last year, certainly the Mets invested in him last offseason thinking he was going to be their, their starting third baseman. Um, if he's able to do that, then I think he's useful in the same way like Ryan McMahon is. Probably going to be a middling batting average, but with 20 to 25 homers and a good lineup, better lineup than McMahon, frankly. And uh, it's probably a nice value for deeper leagues here outside the top 300. I've heard some people bring up the name Josh Donaldson, and he was very bad last year. He, he His quality of contact went down by a lot last year as well. Um, and I think that there's a chance, like, you know, if he's not hitting... They have DJ LeMahieu, Anthony Volpe could get called up. Maybe they use him at third base. There's just there's other names there. So uh, I'm I'm pretty pessimistic when it comes to a Josh Donaldson bounce back this year. Post 400, the deepest of leagues, we see JD Davis still hits the ball really hard. Might have an opportunity to play with the San Francisco Giants. Spencer Steer, Brian Anderson signed on with the Brewers, and David VR, another name with the Giants, where they don't have a lot of talent. He hits the ball hard, but he strikes out a lot as well. Chris, anything with these four? Davis, Steer, Brian Anderson, David VR. I think Brian Anderson could be useful in a Ryan McManny way if he's playing every day for the Brewers. I just don't know, you know, don't know and don't think he's going to. So, you know, if that opportunity does arise, he, he could be a useful, you know, more corner infielder than starting third baseman. But I could see you know, in a full season, 20 homers, 80-ish RBI and runs. I think he's okay. All right. Can I can I comment on Patrick Wisdom real quick from the previous group? Because this sure. seems like a guy who's not getting nearly enough credit. 25 home runs last year for the Cubs, 28 the year before, and, and a low number of at-bats. Uh, strikes out too much, not going to hit for average, but like – Patrick Wisdom's line, final line might not end up looking that different from Matt Chapman's or Eugenio Suarez's. Probably a little more of a question of playing time. I know uh, Roster Resource currently has Christopher Morell penciled in as the starting third baseman. I don't think that's based on any reporting or anything. I think that's just a hunch from who runs that website. Like Wisdom's been good enough that he, I suspect he'll be the Cubs' primary third baseman again this year. And... Um, is a good cheap source of power in leagues that are deep all right there you go third base hit it early or hit it late that's basically the way to summarize it for scott and chris i am frank thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today we'll be back again tomorrow bye-bye